0: Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. There's nothing um, better when you're about to preach or teach or share the word than knowing that what you are going to share could be life-transforming for people. Amen. That's right. But the content and the topic of this is for the blessing of God yeah. over all his people That's right. and for the world beyond yeah. and for the um, I, I honestly believe for the for breakthroughs in marriages in individual lives yeah. to Amen. bring peace in our hearts and minds and a level of freedom and, and release that um, it's just sensational. Great. So, how does that sound? Is that a good advert? Um, we're in a series, uh, an occasional series um, that we've called "Why Do We Do That?" and, and we wanted, in, in this series of, of teachings, to pick up on some aspects of our apostolic house concerning our doctrine and our practice that um, that really matter things that really matter, things that we, where we don't want any, anything to be obscure or misunderstood. And we just want to say, if, if we're in, let's be 100% in. Let's be those that embrace and express and enjoy all the blessings of this house. Yeah? So today's topic is tithing. How many of you thought I was going to say that with that with that intro and that build-up? Yeah, a few people did because they were in the know. They were in the know, and um, this is something that we, we obviously teach on our on teach people on the on the way into the to membership of the church here. But just bear with me as I continue to just explain the way I want to do this. This um, this has the power to transform yes, it does. our thinking and our experience. And all I'm going to share with you is from my experience, from, from the scriptures obviously, but, but link that with, with my experience. I believe this to be one of the most fundamental things about us. This may be pushing it a little bit far, but I'm going to just do that anyway, and then we're going to... I, I kind of believe there's two types of people in the world. There's tithers and non-tithers. And... When we are saved, when we become Christians, when we receive um, instruction and, and revelation, we have the tremendous privilege of an opportunity of, um, of, of moving from one to the other, of becoming tithers, yeah. and entering into a whole new way of life and blessing, yeah. of, of a thrilling, miraculous kingdom economics, And the reason I'm saying tithers is because if if I tithe this week, this month, if I tithe this month, I could choose next month not to tithe. If I am a tither, that thought would never enter my head. I'm a tither. Cut me anywhere and that's what it will say. So I want to kind of explain more about that. Um, the, the Bible has lots to say about money. As you know, you read all sorts of statistics of how many, what proportion of verses in the New Testament are about money or material things. But I'd like us to start in Matthew 6, and what we'll do this morning, it, time permitting, I'll we'll, just w- open it up for some questions at the end. I, I honestly, genuinely just want to share revelation and experience and... Leave us all longing to become tithers or longing to continue to be tithers. Uh, This this has nothing to do with the church income. Nothing whatsoever to do with the finances of this church. This has to do, as we've just been singing, with all I do is to honour you. Matthew 6. Right in the context of Jesus... um, teaching in, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount in, in the, put the next one, there you go, Pete. The, uh, verse 19, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will also be. Now, we've said this before. It's not that where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Although that's kind of true by definition. But but the point is, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Your heart will actually follow your treasure. And Jesus is saying, um, store up treasure in heaven. And then verse 24, he says, no one can be a slave of two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot be slaves of God and of money. But the point is, we will be slaves of one or other of them. Yes. You'll either be a slave of one and, and hate the other, or you'll be a slave of that one and hate the other. It's kind of Jesus presents it in a binary way. One of these will be your master. Either God or money, Mammon, capital M in some translations. And we get the choice. And it's in making that choice that we get set free. It's in making that choice that we come into this this thrilling, miraculous kingdom economics. God wants us to live in blessing and peace. Hallelujah. So Lord, I pray this morning as we open the word and we look at these things, I want to pray your big heart of love towards us, of wanting the very best for us, of desiring us to be free from the love of money. I pray your heart towards us this morning will be received and caught and embraced by us, Lord, and revelation will come and you'll transform hundreds of lives in this room and Further beyond it today, Lord, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Bible also talks about how we how we uh, how we know where our heart is. How how the love of money is a root of all evil, and essentially telling us that the way we handle money says everything about our priorities, about our loyalties, about our affections. It's often said, isn't it? If I, if I showed you my bank statements and you looked at where my money goes, you'd get a pretty good picture of me, wouldn't you? And, yes. and that's true of all of us. Um, and, and we'll come on to this later, but one of the most sensational truths in the New Testament is that the way we handle money determines whether God entrusts us with true riches. Yes. True riches. Yes. We'll come back to that. So, Um, 33 years ago, Deborah and I became Christians, and um, within a few months became tithers, and we've tithed ever since, and we will tithe as long as we live, honestly, as long as we live, and if if there's tithing in heaven, we'll do it there as well. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to just speak really personally and share... My heartfelt convictions share our practice. Um, about five or six years ago, we did do a little video called I Love Tithing. And at that time, there was, there was some correspondence in one of the Christian magazines. Um, and a friend of ours, Gavin White, some of you all know Gavin in Manchester. There, there was, there was some, some, some stuff on tithing and some people who disagreed with it. And there was all this correspondence went on. Is tithing appropriate for Christians in the New Testament? And Gavin White, this great friend of ours, he wrote this letter to the magazine, and he just, he said, I love tithing. Yeah. I, th- I-, I love that title. <laughs> so, um, so my subtitle today is is, I love tithing. I, or rather, I still love tithing. <laughs> and, um, and I want you to come with me um, and, um, and be very, very blessed this morning. And I'm going to give you 10 reasons why I love tithing. So the first is this. They're all really simple, because tithing's simple. No, number one, tithing is eternal. I love tithing. I love being a tither, because it puts me in line with all great men and women of faith. Going right back to the very beginning. So um, the first text I'm going to turn you to is in Genesis chapter 4. Tithing is, uh, we believe in this church, the leadership, the membership of this church, we believe tithing is an eternal principle. Um, It's in the law. Of course it is. All good eternal principles are in the law. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not... All those good things are in the law, but it doesn't start there. And in Genesis 4... um, we read about Cain and Abel, Adam knew his wife Eve, intimately she conceived, gave birth to Cain. Uh, she said, I've had a male child, or, or Deborah read her version on the way over this morning, I've produced a man. <laughs> it's quite a thought, isn't it? Adam and Eve came together, neither of them came from a man, well, Eve did in a sense, but, but they had intercourse, and she said, I've produced a man. <laughs> I don't know what he looked like when he came out, but uh, there you go. And um, <laughs> and um, And then it says, Um, Abel became a shepherd of a flock, but Cain cultivated the land. So Cain farmed the land with crops, and Abel was was a shepherd. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, or Deborah's translation, The New Living, said, the best of the firstborn." And the Lord had regard for Cable and his offering, or looked with favour, but he did not have favour or regard for Cain and his offering, and Cain was furious, and he was downcast, and we'll come on to what happens next, much later. So here's a a, a kind of an intriguing story. Cain brings an offering, but Abel brings from the firstborn, the best of the firstborn, and what you find as you, as you read on, and we'll look at, look at various other things in a moment, is this idea of, of the firstborn, or the firstfruits, mm-hmm. the first that he gives me, becomes synonymous with a tithe. That's right. mm-hmm. uh, for, if you want to look at that later, you can have a look in 2 Chronicles 31, verse 5. So I would start right back there in Genesis chapter 4. We have the, the origins, we have the beginnings of this principle of giving God from our first, the first fruits or the firstborn, and for these farmers it would have been crops and animals. and then I want to take you to Genesis uh, 14, where we w- read a story of Abraham, father of faith, that should tell us this this is not. A legal thing, it's a faith thing. He's father of faith. And in Genesis 14, um, from verse, uh, well, he, he goes into battle and he wins a great victory. And in verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was a priest to God Most High. And he blessed Abraham and he said, Abraham is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Give praise to God Most High who's handed your enemies over to you. So here's a situation where Abraham is returning from a battle, from a victory, and this priest by the name of Melchizedek meets him. When you read in the New Testament, Hebrews 7, um, it, it, it hints very strongly that Melchizedek is even an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament what's known as a theophany, an appearance of Jesus before his incarnation. But, but whatever, Melchizedek is, is king of peace. He's, he's without father and mother. He, he knows he's, he's without beginning and end. He, he's a type of Christ at the very least. And he's a priest and, and he blesses Abraham. And he comes with bread and wine to bless Abraham. There's something of covenant involved here. And then Abraham, at the end of verse 20, gave him a tenth of everything a tenth then I take you to Genesis 28 I love this passage this is also the first mention in the Bible of the house of God and it's Jacob having a dream it's the end of Jacob's dream he he dreams he's been on he's been on the run he's been he's been uh, um, what's he been he's been trying to find his way he's been Um, estranged from his brother and his grandfather Abraham was a believer his father Isaac was a believer Uh, things just need to kind of come together for Jacob a bit and in in this story in Genesis 28 he has a dream and God appears to him and, and God says I'm going to be with you and watch over you wherever you go and I'm going to bring you back to this land and I won't leave you until I've done what I've promised you verse 15 and then Jacob awoke from his sleep in verse 16. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid. And he said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is, this is Jacob's revelation. God is here. This is awesome. God is here. And, and, um, and this, is, this is the gateway of heaven. This is the house of God. And then early in the morning he took up a stone that was near his head and he set it up as a marker and he poured oil on it. He named the place Bethel. And then verse 20, he makes a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, if he provides me with food and eat to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. Yeah. This is Jacob's... What is it? This, is, this is his conversion the Lord will be my God and this stone I've set up will be God's house. And then, you know, why did he say this? And I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. Right, in, in, integral in this, this revelation of who God is and who God is to him and how God's going to provide for him and bless him and lead him. He's going to establish this, this, this memorial as the house of God. And of all the things to say and I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. Maybe maybe he saw Abraham doing that. Maybe he knew that's what his father Isaac did. But it's right at the heart of his revelation of who God is. It's inseparable from from his revelation of God is this decision, this vow, to give God a tenth of everything. And all of that is way before the law. And then... The law comes, and we'll refer back to some of those things in a minute. But in Matthew 23, Jesus is, is um, pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, uh, and his point being that they verse 23, he says, You you pay a um, you pay a tenth of your mint your dill, your cumin. Can you imagine the, the Pharisees were getting their spices out and measuring a, a tenth of all their spices and herbs to give to the Lord as their, as their, as their first fruits, as their offering. And he says, um, you, you do, you, you're so meticulous about that, but you've neglected the more important matters of, the, of justice, mercy, and faith. This, this had just become a legalistic thing. Yeah. Devoid from, the, from the, the basics of faith. And then he says, these things you should have done. Or in the New Living, he says, you should tithe, yes. Yeah, that's right. yeah has anybody got that in their Bible? Yeah. But don't neglect the other things. So here's a moment for Jesus to, to change the arrangements. To say that, that, was, that was the old covenant. No need for that anymore. And he doesn't, he affirms it. And puts it in the context of, of the faith so tithing is eternal believe it's it's in the law because it's good because it's eternal it, it's not Old Testament it's not the law it's much bigger than that yeah. things that were right under the law don't become wrong under grace and, and in any case Jesus says it that, that scripture alone would be enough for me yeah. Yeah. if it wasn't in the context of everything else I, 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 I'm just going to say some things and I'm not trying to I just want to share my convictions yeah. I I don't think, let me make it personal, I don't think I could be used by God in the way he wants to use me if I wasn't a tither. If I'm wavering over whether one-tenth belongs to him, I'm going to waver over everything. If I'm not convinced that the tenth belongs to God, I wouldn't be convinced about anything. Second point. Tithing is really simple, and um, I love tithing because it, it's simple, it's straightforward. The word tithe means tenth. In percentage terms, anybody know what tenth is in percentage terms? Ten percent. Okay. Anybody remember how to sort of calculate a tenth of something? If if you could you could see a number with um with you know in an infant number of digits in it, couldn't you? And, and a tenth of it is the whole number without the last digit, yeah. okay? So I, I love the fact that, 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 that God doesn't say, could you give me 12 and three quarters percent? The will church with our calculators. <laughs> it's simple. And um, the Lord gives all key truths in simple, Amen. all or nothing, yeah. non-negotiable terms. <laughs> So that we have no room for manoeuvre, no latitude, no no leeway. There's no exceptions, there's no alternatives. When he says baptise, the word means immerse. When he calls us the church, the word means called out. When he says he's Lord, he means Lord of all. And when he teaches us to tithe, it means tenth. It's what the word means. So we can't be the church um, unless we're called out of the world. We can't be baptised unless we're immersed. He can't be Lord unless he's Lord of all. And we can't really tithe without giving him a tenth. It's simple. God loves me so much that he's saved me. He's cut off my past. He's immersed me in, in water and lifted me out again. He's promised to bless my future. And he's told me to tithe because he wants my life to be covered, surrounded... With total security and tremendous blessing. So if I received 20,000 pounds, my tithe would be 2,000. 50,000 be 5,000. 100,000. it would be 10,000 pounds. If it was a million I have to think about that, it would be 100,000. Uh, if I received 500 pounds a week, my tithe would be 50 pounds a week. If I receive £5 pocket money, Deborah lets me have some pocket money sometimes, <laughs> my tithe would be 50p. Yeah. If I had a Saturday job, I'd, well, I suppose I still do in some ways, and earn £20, my tithe would be £2. It's so simple. Yes. And it's the great leveller. There's no such thing as a big tither That's true. or a small tither. We're all tithers. That's right. yes. This church does not have big tithers in it, has tithers. It's the same for everybody, and I love that about the tithe. It's not any more, it's not easier for a rich person or a poor person. For the one on 100,000 and the one on 10,000, it's the same for all of us. It's the great level. You know, in Acts two forty four, it says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. I love that about the church, don't you? That, that it's in common with all of us. It's not about comparing ourselves in terms of units of money. It's just, we're all tithers. So our practice in our home for the last 33 years has been this. Uh, We tithe all our income, all the time. And we don't take a break at Christmas. And we don't skip a couple of months in the summer we're tithers I don't tithe in May and June and then decide not to in July and August we're tithers whenever we receive income if, if I preach somewhere else uh, usually a gift is received um, uh, wages, Deborah used to have a job with wages, we, whenever we had child benefit, all, all the income coming into our home, we tithed it 33 years we did that. We'll still do it. We tithe on the gross amount before tax. I'm, I'm actually self-employed, so um, it's, a, it, it's easier to think of it in those ways, but we receive income. It, it doesn't come with the tax taken off. It comes gross, and we tithe on the gross amount. Because Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. God is God is lord of all my money not just after tax and we try and make it um, without being legalist about this, we try and make it the first payment the first thing that goes out of our account every month with our monthly income and, and, and we do it as soon as possible with our other income because it's the first fruits and it's never the leftovers we don't wait till the end of the month and see if there's a tenth left (laughs) <laughs> very unlikely. <laughs> Here's another thing. But neither do we ever include the first tenth in any of our budgeting. No, that's right. I'll tell you why in a minute. It's simply not ours. Yes, that's right. yeah, that's very good. I take a tenth off and all our budgeting, all our spending decisions, all, all that we plan to do and invest and give comes from the other 90%. Yes. Amen. Is everybody blessed so far? Yeah. And um, the third reason I love tithing, maybe there should be more of 10, but 10 seemed appropriate on this topic. Tithing is honourable. I love being a tither because I am... It's even difficult to call it giving. It's giving back. Because the scriptures make clear that the tithe is the Lord's, belongs to God. So let me take you to a couple of places. Leviticus 27... That is, this is now um, written as part of the old covenant law, but but the principle uh, we've seen that in in the first fruits and um, verse verse twenty six says no one can consecrate a firstborn of the livestock because a firstborn already belongs to the Lord. Verse, 20, verse 30 says, every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Um, and then also in Malachi, we'll come back to this one, some, some people teach all the tithing principles from Malachi 3, which is, is such a small aspect of it. But in Malachi 3... Um, the Lord says um, in verse 8, you've been robbing me. And he goes on to say, you've been robbing me by not making payments of the 10% and the contributions. Or I think others talk about in tithes and in offerings. But let's just stick with the tithe for now. You can't rob somebody of something if it's not theirs in the first place. Right. Richard gave me a birthday present this weekend because it was my birthday. Thank you very much. And, um, but I couldn't have accused him of of robbing me by not giving me a gift. But if he'd taken some of my money and gave it back to me, then it would have been a different matter, which he he didn't, of course. The tithe belongs to God, and if we we don't give it, we're robbing him. It's strong language, isn't it? And um, uh, Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, says that the tithing teaches us to fear the Lord. I just think it's amazing that he lets me handle 10% of my stuff, which is his. He, 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 he asked me to be a good steward of it, and we'll come back to why he does that in just a moment. He is Lord, and I can express that by giving him what's his. 10% is not a tip. Oh, that was a great day, Lord. I'm going to give you a tip. It belongs to him. He's not making a service charge. It's his money. And I don't choose whether I feel he deserves it one month or another. Because I've been blessed, because uh, I'm facing challenges. Maybe I won't tithe this month. It's his money, and he is the Lord. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm making my point, I'll tell you. So, so um, tithing, in a sense, is not really giving because it's his already. But it is the starting point for my giving. It's like the springboard. It's, it's, it's the base level. It's the foundation upon which... I can begin to be a generous giver. I deal with that issue. It's his. doesn't even factor in my thinking. It's his money. And with what remains, the 90%, which we'll come on to in a moment, with what remains, I then can be a generous giver. I can plan uh, things in my life. It's a wonderful, wonderful principle. It's the starting point of our giving, but it's not the end point. I... I want to be a tither and a generous giver. Amen. Give, be faithful in all my tithing and be generous and be generous in my offerings. Do I do both? You bet I do. I love tithing, I love giving. We believe in tithes and offerings, and we believe they're different, the two types of giving. Uh, but as far as the tithes concerned, it simply puts God first. With no ifs, no buts, no maybes, no debate, no wavering, the first tenth belongs to him, and I believe that to be honourable. Do you agree? Amen. (laughs) Fourthly, tithing releases people. I love tithing because it's used to support, to release, and to bless people. Now, in Malachi, um, we get a little snapshot of of how they would have Uh, tithed their grain and their produce in the Old Testament, they would have brought them to what's called the storehouse. Because he goes on to say, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that they may be food in my house. He actually goes on to say, test me in this. Amazing, isn't it? The God who says don't put me to the test has one exception. (laughs) Test me in this area and just see just see if I won't pour out so much blessing that you won't be able to contain it. So um, so as a principle, we bring our tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse is where we are fed from, where we are supplied from. And our, our um, interpretation of that very clearly is that that is the local church. From which we're fed and blessed and cared for. We bring our tithes into the storehouse, not into my favorite charity or save it up for children in need. Um, that would be other giving. And, and God make me generous in that, but, but my tithe comes into the storehouse, the place from which I'm fed and blessed and cared for. Because only by doing that can we support people as we should. It says, bring the tithe into the storehouse, Malachi 3, verse 10, that there might be food in the house. Okay, now this is really, really significant. We, we have um, we have quite a big staff here at this church. Some people are amazed how many people we're able to um, support and employ. But we do that because we're a tithing church. And, um, and there's two, two types of people that we want to support from the tithe and give to from the tithe. The first is those who have given up other paid work so they can serve us. Our pastoral people, our um, full-time elders, uh, our administrative staff, they've given up other work to serve in this house. And in 1 Corinthians 9, um, just show you a principle here, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is there's quite a specific um, um, quite a specific context, but it's a much broader principle that he draws. His specific context is this debate with the Corinthians about whether he, as an apostle, was entitled to uh, receive income from them. And he talks about his his rights as an apostle. Um, and then he says uh, in verse. Uh, let me just... The, yes, take you first to, to verse um, 8. I'm oh, sorry, verse 6. Uh, no, I'll tell you what, verse 5. <laughs> well, read the background anyway. I'll just, I'll just read the background later. He, he talks about those that um, shepherd the flock, being able to drink from the milk of the flock. Then he said, am I saying this from a human perspective, verse 8? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. In other words, when the animal is working, let him eat as well. Is God really concerned about the oxen? This is an amazing statement Paul makes. Or isn't he really saying it for us? Yes, this is written for us. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should do so in the hope of sharing the crop. If we've sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? He he says, you know, this whole principle of not muzzling an ox, it was written for us in the New Testament. Here's an Old Testament law which only finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. It's written for us. And he goes on to say then in verse, um, what was the reference, Rich? 13. Do you not know that those who perform the temple service eat the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. Now, you could look back at Numbers 18 and you'll see there that the tithes were to be given to the Levites. The Levites were the tribe who served in the house of God in the temple. He says that that was what used to happen in the Old Covenant. And then he says, in the same way, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. He goes on to say, yet I haven't used these rights, But he had those rights. So here's a great principle, um, that those who work in the house of the Lord should be able to be supported and, and receive remun- remuneration through the tithe. And we do that here, unashamedly, and, and we have a fantastic office team, and we have full-time elders, all of whom it's possible because of the tithe. And it's a tragedy, isn't it, where a church doesn't have the pastoral care it needs, or somebody is unable to devote themselves to the Word during the week because they're in, a, they're in other employment and, and therefore the church is undernourished in, in teaching. Or we don't have administrative staff to make possible all the fantastic things we do in this church. Yeah. It's possible because of the tithing. Similarly, in 1 Timothy 5, it says the elders who are doing a good job should be worthy of double remuneration, double honor. So there's one category. We use the tithe. The tithe is used to support people who serve in the house of God. But, but the second category, and this is a really big, big part of our church budgeting, is to uh, support anybody in need who has a need. Deuteronomy 14, um, where are we, verse 28 at the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year uh, uh, and, uh, and store it within your gates. And then the Levites who have no portion or inheritance among you, that's the, those serving in the house of God, or the foreign resident or the fatherless and the widow within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied and the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. We use the tithe in this church to give literally tens of thousands of pounds to those in need in our midst, and it's a great blessing to be able to do that. A healthy, growing church needs pastors and teachers and administrators and staff, and it's a travesty when churches can't afford the care or the leadership. But when I'm tithing, I can participate in God's way of providing these things. Tithing releases people. And then fifthly, tithing fuels mission. Because when the storehouse is filled, the house becomes healthy and the church has the ministry it needs and we can help those who need help and we can bless those who need blessing. And when I tithe, I can become part of a generous giving culture, become reproductive, get focused on a much bigger vision. The offering can then be used as it should be. To pay bills, to fund outreach, to sow beyond ourselves, to bless the world. When I tithe, honestly, I believe I'm helping the church move forward in its mission. That we have all that we need. Amen. 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 Sixthly, shall I pause? You okay? The first five were the the bigger points, not the, the longer points. Uh, tithing releases blessing. Yeah. Malachi 3. Let's just turn back there and let's just read this because read the whole thing. This isn't the basis for tithing. just want to make that really clear. This isn't the basis for tithing. It's much more eternal. But, but this, is, um, this is part of we don't We don't start here. Yes. Uh, so, verse 8. Will a man rob God? yet you're robbing me. And you ask, well, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of 10% and the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your ground and your vine and your fields will not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. And then all nations will consider you blessed for you will be a delightful land, Amen. says the Lord of hosts. How wonderful is this? I, honestly, Deborah and I do not tithe Because we think it will bring a blessing. Now we know it does. We tithe because we believe it to be the right, honorable thing to do. One of the glorious consequences is this blessing. But that's not our motive for tithing. God promises, in fact, so much blessing that we won't have room enough for it. Now I just want to put my hand up and say uh, there's still some room. There's still some room. Um, and at the heart of this, God promises to rebuke the devourer. Yes. This is really powerful, isn't it? He wants to prevent my money, my life, being attacked, being wasted, being plundered, being used up. He wants to keep me fruitful and productive. Yes. And I would rather have 90% that's blessed yes. than 100%, and I'm just going to use this word here that's cursed. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather live with 90% that's blessed than 100% that's devoid of that blessing? Amen. If God is first, everything else comes into order. Honestly, this is the... Oh, did I miss the pictures at the start of this, didn't I? Pete, could you just flip back to the pictures? I forgot to mention those. There we go going to have a colorful intro and I forgot (laughs) the top left is to say this topic and this is what's in my mind right now this is just the tip of an iceberg but if this bit's right if this bit's in order there's there's a whole load of other stuff that I promise you will come into good order um, it's about freedom, it's about blessing, it's about peace. There we go. Thank you, Pete. We can go back now. Really so tithing releases blessing. And, um, and if you turn with me to Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 3. Perhaps somebody could read verses 9 and 10. Stand up and read in a real, nice, nice, loud voice, Proverbs three verses nine and 10. Adam, welcome back, Adam. Adam, long for everybody. Amen. Honour the Lord with your possessions, with the first of your produce, with the first fruits. Then your barns will be filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. There's something about tithing that's an act of faith. If we give him the first tenth, we are trusting him to come through with what follows. This would have been a very, if you were a farmer and you literally gave God the first of your produce, you were absolutely trusting him that there'd be more to follow. And I, I try and take that attitude when we tithe. God, this is the first. But I'm trusting you that you will, your blessing will continue to flow and you'll provide all that we need. I thank you for the word, a word like this. God always responds to, t- to faith, doesn't he? Over our I was going to say over the 33 years of our life, but you know that's not true. Over the 33 years of our walking with God, we've just known so many blessings. Unbelievable. Um, Cars, washing machines, holidays, many, many holidays, TVs, money, clothes, furniture, a piece of land recently, plus peace, Joy, healing, security, order. I, um, I love tithing. I love tithing because it means, it's the means by which God releases so much blessing into our lives. Um, by the way, never, never um, observe somebody or something and, and, and um, judge or criticize a blessed life that you see. Because you might simply be looking at the unavoidable consequences of tithing. I love tithing, number seven, because it releases me. But it really releases me. Um, it means I'm free. A Tithing means I'm trusting God rather than my own efforts and abilities. If I didn't tithe, it would all depend on me but now I can trust God and tithing liberates me and sets me free. Tithing breaks the power of greed and materialism in my life. I believe it's God's antidote to materialism and greed because every time I tithe, I'm deciding not to buy something. Every time I give God his tenth, I'm deciding not to... This sounds so so ridiculous, doesn't it? Every time I give God a tenth, I'm deciding not to rob him and spend it myself. Why would I do that? You can't serve two masters. David, I can't serve two masters. I will always serve one or the other. When I pray, I'm stating my belief that God can intervene. That's what we did this morning. When I fast, I'm declaring that he's my daily bread. And when I tithe, I'm making a powerful, emphatic, definitive statement that the Lord is my source yeah. and my provider. Yeah. You are my God. Yeah. And I will give you a tenth of everything. Yes. That's right. Coming to the end now. Tithing protects me. This is kind of a similar thing. Uh, all, all I could say is in our many years of, of pastoral ministry together there's frequently a correlation between circumstances and tithing. Or, more often, circumstances and not tithing. Um, A lack of tithing, I'm just going to say this, is always accompanied by other things. Now, it's not that tithing immunizes me from life's challenges, but it does state his lordship over my life. It does make the 90% holy. Yes, sir. We'll come on to that in a moment. And it does invoke God to rebuke the devourer. Yes, Deborah and I will never stop tithing because we love God and we crave his covering of our lives. Amen. Back in Genesis, you needn't turn there, but um, after that moment with Cain and Abel, the Lord, the Lord comes to Cain and he warns him. Now, Cain's a non-tither. Cain, Cain gave some, some as an offering. Abel gave the first fruits as a kind of a tithe. And the Lord says to Cain, Cain, um, do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It. it desires to master you. But, but Cain, you can do what is right. Yeah. And I, I just feel for ourselves... Um, That's that's always there, that that possibility. um, But tithing protects me by enabling us to master this area of our lives and stop sin in this area getting the better of us. Does that make sense? Tithing protects us. Therefore, I suppose, number nine, tithing brings peace. Really important verse I'd like you to turn to. There's two more to look at. Romans 11. This is a... Oh, when, I've, when I first saw this verse, bless me so much. When you read something, and something years and years and years ago, I remember reading this, and um, I think Brian Shutt read it to us actually years ago, and I thought, wow, oh, that's amazing. Romans 11, verse 16. That's in the context of um, talking about Jews and Gentiles, but there's a principle mentioned which is so... Helpful for us. Verse 16. If the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. If the root is holy, so is the branches. If I give God the first fruits, 10%, the remaining 90% is holy. Can't be touched. He rebukes the devourer. That's why I said I'd rather live with the 90% that's blessed that the first tenth redeems the rest. Yes. The first tenth is holy and makes the whole batch holy. I'd much rather um, live in the peace of knowing, Lord, you've had, uh, I've given you your tenth. You bless me with the rest. I'm going to make good decisions, prove myself a good steward. But it's all holy, and I thank you for that, Lord. I needn't worry about money. It's all blessed. It's all holy. Tithing, I feel tithing rebukes the accuser. Can't point the finger at me. Can't accuse me of greed or materialism or self-effort. As I tithe, I, I resolutely reject all such accusations and declare that all that I have belongs to the Lord. He brings me great peace. Amen. For the last scripture, I'd like you to turn to Luke 16. And my last point is that tithing unlocks growth. Well, it unlocks a lot of things. Tithing is eternal, is simple, is honourable. Tithing releases people. Tithing fuels mission, releases blessing, releases me, protects me, brings peace, 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 it's a new word, brings peace and um, Unlocks, unlocks a lot of things here. So here's a, here's a fascinating teaching that Jesus brings um, to the dishonest manager. But in the midst of this teaching, he says this. Verse 10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you've not been faithful with unrighteous money, who will trust you with true riches? What is genuine? If you've not been faithful with what belongs to somebody else, the tithe. Who will give you what's your own? No household slave can be the slaves of two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves to both God and... It's not that we read this before, it's just that that's in several places. Yeah. Same statement again. You cannot be slaves of both God and money. I love tithing because its impact is eternal. And what Luke is saying here is that, um, or what Jesus is is recording Luke as saying, sorry, what Luke is recording Jesus as saying, is that um, there's a bit of a test going on. The Lord, Lord, I believe, is is longing to say, who can I entrust with true riches? Who can I entrust with what's genuine? Now I don't know all that true riches is. I I believe it includes revelation. I believe it includes souls, lives, true riches, things that are genuine. Who can I trust? And he says he says um, whoever can be trusted with unrighteous money will also be able to be trusted with true riches. And I, I believe God is longing to find people that he can trust with true riches. And the, the test, the litmus test, the, the um, what's the word? The, what he looks at is how we handle our money. He says, if, if you've been faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. If, you'll be, if you've been faithful with what belongs to somebody else, you'll, I'll give you your own. And if you've been faithful with, with unrighteous money, simple money, then I will give you true riches. It's vital we grasp this. I honestly believe revelation can be locked up if we don't tithe. Mission and growth can be locked up if we don't tithe. The blessing God wants to give us we know can be locked up if we don't tithe. But, but tithing and good stewardship and generous giving has an impact Way beyond the natural and the physical. It's all that stuff out of sight as God unlocks growth and blessing. So, why do we do that? Why on earth wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we tithe if we've seen what's in the Word? It brings blessing. It releases growth. It it brings peace and security. Whether I'm a teenager with a with a £20 a week job, whether I'm running some corporation with a six-figure salary. I, I just want to be a tither. Yes, that's right. I want God to know he's got all of me. Yes. He's Lord of all. And I just want to say, as for me and my household, we will give him a tenth. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.